With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. This is James Altucher bringing you the James Altucher Show. And once again, we have Ryan Holiday on the show. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you as always. Yeah, and for uh, listeners who don't remember, we had Ryan on the show before where we ta- he talked about his book, uh, Trust Me, I'm Lying, and also uh, the, the book on uh, growth hacker marketing. And now we're going to talk about your next book. You're, you're just churning out the books. We're going to talk about the book, The Obstacle is the Way, just released, The Timeless Art of Turning Adversity to Advantage. And uh, this is a, a topic that really interests me because... Uh, definitely listeners and blog readers know my story where I, I basically just blew up so many times in, in such embarrassing and frustrating and, and almost suicidal fashions that I had to really figure out how to come back from, from literally from the grave to, to try to find success. And by success, I don't necessarily mean financial success or huge pleasure or whatever, but just personal freedom. And when you say the obstacles, the way... Ryan, I know you're you're talking about stoicism, and for me, that seems like a philosophy of of personal freedom, where you don't get too attached to the highs, and you particularly don't get too attached to the lows. Like you examine the worst case scenario and figure out, rather than panicking, how to use that worst case scenario to move forward. Am, am I correct that that's kind of um, an extremely rough definition of stoicism? Yeah, well, I, look, I think a lot of people hear the word philosophy and they run away because it sounds like what they learned in college or what they hated in college. But in, in reality, Stoicism was a a philosophy, but it was really an operating system for a bunch of highly successful people for during the the Greco Roman period. So you know, you had you had teachers, you had uh, soldiers, you had um, businessmen, and you had emperors. One of the most sort of uh, profound Stoics was the Emperor Marcus Aurelius, and they, they had this this approach for a very for what was a chaotic and stressful and often overwhelming life. And Stoicism was sort of the answer or the lens through which they made sense of this world and through which they they found and achieved success. So I my my goal with the book was to sort of take that mindset, explain how it works for people, and then show how it works in 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 modern life. Because, you know, things might be bad, our economy might be bad, but I'd rather be alive now than at the uh, the, the decline of the Roman Empire. And so this philosophy was designed for those times, and I think it works quite well now. And it's it's designed to make you resilient and strong and flexible and self-disciplined and in control of yourself. 
Well, you know, you have a great example in the middle of the book, and I'll just I'll just read this out loud real briefly, that, that you have a chapter titled Live in the Present Moment, which sounds almost like it could be written by someone like Eckhart Tolle or Deepak Chopra or something. But then you have the, the, the chapter starts off, do yourself a favor and run down the list of businesses started during depressions or economic crises. And so you have, you know, companies like the Walt Disney Company, uh, Standard Oil, the biggest company ever, basically, Costco, Revlon, Procter & Gamble, Microsoft, even LinkedIn. So it just goes to show that everybody has an excuse. And, and I'm really sick of it. Like, oh, the, the economy is so bad, I can't start a business. Or the economy is so bad, I'm worried about uh, I shouldn't quit my job because I have to feed my family. Everyone uses these excuses, and yet John D. Rockefeller started the biggest business in history, you know, during an economic crash. So, so you know, what's up with that? Is there any validity yeah. to crisis? Well, and I would take it a step further. In fact, it was that crisis that was profoundly educational and beneficial to, his as a per to him as a person. So, you know, I think a lot of people, they, they, they spend their time trying to sort of um, go like, oh, it's not so bad, but it's actually even it's actually even a step further than that. It's it, the things that we think are going to be really terrible and awful when we look back in retrospect turned out to be beneficial, and in many cases we we wouldn't trade them for anything in the world. And so the the reason is that the things that we think are going to be difficult and hard teach us about ourselves. They teach us about the world. They they force us to do something we otherwise maybe wouldn't have done. Um, and I, I think part of the problem is we've gotten really like I know for my generation, you know, we were sold on a certain version of the world. Like, look, if you go to college, then this will happen and then this will happen. And then you save for this many number of years and then you retire and then you get to you get to travel for the last few years and then you have grandchildren and life is life is going to be exactly like this which is fundamentally different than how it used to be when, you know, you could get a small cut on your hand and mysteriously die 30 days later, right? So this, this world that used to be much more capricious and unpredictable created a certain humility in people, and that humility also manifested itself as flexibility, as openness, as a, as a, as a sense of persistence and perseverance and courage, and all these things that are really important when you when you suffer setbacks or difficulties used to be um, more conducive to our attitudes. And now we've gotten so certain about how the world should be that when it's not that way, because we in fact don't control it, we're all put out of shape and upset um, and we don't know what to do. And, and I wanted well, to write this book to, to sort of correct that, that attitude because I think it's really important. And I, I think it is incredibly important because right now, we are living in a world that's that's basically turned upside down economically because of all these failed promises. And the promises weren't insidious. Like nobody nobody intended any malevolence based on telling us, oh, if you go to college, you get a, a better job. Or if you stay at this corporation, you can rise up to the top. Basically, you know, everybody did believe it. And then, you know, in 2008, the tide came in, everyone was fired, unemployment shot up, businesses, you know, houses went underwater, you know, now more than 50% of the unemployed have college degrees, and yet student loan debt is over a trillion dollars. So all of these really bad things happened, and you really do have to kind of say, okay, I'm in a situation that was completely unexpected, and I have to figure out how to survive. Or even worse, I've, I've done everything that I was supposed to do. 
I have my cubicle job, but I'm really scared it's not going to work out. I'm really scared America is going to somehow implode from inflation or, you know, China is going to take over or whatever. There's so many things out there that, that scare us. Sure. What does somebody like that do? How do you start off indoctrinating yourself into this philosophy that you talk about? Because sure. you, are, you did write this book. I want to stress right. you did this write this book with the modern person in mind. It's not a philosophy book. Yeah, sure. And look, I, I wrote this book. Um, this isn't this isn't. Hey, this is my opinion on how things should go. Like I, I found this this sort of stoic exercise, which is the exercise of turning obstacles upside down or, or how obstacles become the way um, is is, you know, a 2000 year old idea. And then the book is illustrated with stories from people who have explicitly followed that principle. So this isn't a book about my problems and how I learned from them or any sort of trite observation about obstacles. Like I, I wanted to show that this is what successful people do, period. They don't get impeded by things. In fact, when bad things happen, they get better. You know, there's a, there's a great, like there's this quote that I, that I like from Andy Grove, uh, the, the former CEO of, of uh of intel where you're saying you know um bad companies are destroyed by price by crises good companies survive crises and great companies excel during crises or they expand and they grow because of them and so i i wanted to write a book that sort of helps people build that resilience into their life and um i i think it's sort of a three-step process the the first step is is what I call the discipline of perception. That's how you control how you look at the problem. So, you know, there's a great stoic line about there is no good or bad, there's only perception. There's, like, something happens, but then you decide whether you're going to call it good or bad. Because if the same event happened to someone else, it could be the best thing that ever happened but, to them. But, Ryan, right? realistically, like, let's say, let's say... You're, you lose your on the same day you lose your job and you, you come home and you find your wife is cheating on you and then your doctor calls you and says you have cancer. Life's pretty bad at that point. You're gonna. I, I mean, if it happened to me personally, I would feel pretty bad. Now I would look for ways to feel better, but it's really, really hard. It's really hard to change perception. No, of course, of course. But the the discipline of perception is. It's, it, I think it's a two-part thing. One, it's, it's seeing things as they actually are. So you lose your job, great. You also live in a country with, the, the world, with, a, with a social net that, that you know, your ancestors two generations ago would, would look at with, with total glee, right? So, okay, you lost your job. It's terrible, but you know, it's better than dying. Um, and, and so I, I sort of run through in the book how to control your perceptions, how sort of things like astronauts and fighter pilots and, and people who work in high-stress environments learn to control their emotions and their perceptions, which you have to be able to do. And then I, I want people to, to sort of learn how to practice that objectivity um, and, and perspective. And when you can control your emotions and the way you look at things, now you can start to see where opportunities or gaps are so that this thing isn't as bad as you say. So like I, I, we were talking earlier about living in the present moment. Like if you're FedEx and you're, you know, or UPS or any company that's founded in an economic depression, you can either sit there and go, we're being found, we're like, this is an economic depression, this is terrible, what are we going to do? Or you can just look at it as business as usual, like you would when you wake up in the morning and it's cloudy or rainy outside. I want to I want to focus on one word that you said in in that, which is that it's practice. 
because you can't just like you use an example and you mentioned astronauts john glenn you know in his entire first orbit around the earth he kept his heart beating at a rate less than 100 beats per minute and you know to control your emotions like that isn't just a talent it's it's a skill that you practice and and controlling your perception being able to take a worst case scenario and say ah Here's a worst case scenario. It's an opportunity for me to grow as opposed to an opportunity for me to, to cry. That's kind of a daily practice that requires not just mental agility, but, you know, physical agility. Like you have to be, you know, have energy and be sleep well. You have to be around positive people. You have to have, as you mentioned, you have to have gratitude. Wow, we're living in this amazing time. And all of these things take practice to kind of cultivate inside of you. Sure, totally. And look, at the, and that's what the Stoics say is, look, at the very least... When something bad happens, it's an opportunity to get used to a world where bad things happen. So if you lose your job, it really sucks. Maybe there's no way of fixing that immediate situation, but it's a reminder and it's forcing you to deal with an uncomfortable part of life that will make you more familiar with it and better at handling those so the, those situations in the future, because like I think a lot of people they they assume that the default in their life is amazing things happening all the time, um, and then they're shocked and appalled when that norm is violated. And if you can put yourself a little bit, if you can sort of um, balance that out by not being pessimistic, but by being realistic and practical, you're not going to feel that sort of churning stomach drop that happens when you've been deluding yourself into thinking that the world is going to be perfect all the time. Yeah, and you give you give many great examples. You must have done like enormous research just to to, to make this book. Like I mean, you have examples ranging from Dwight Eisenhower to Laura Ingalls Wilder to, you know, of course Marcus Aurelius, you have many examples. Um, you know, just talk about the preparation you did into into writing this book. Yeah, like what I what I wanted to find was people who'd lived these principles of sort of turning obstacles into opportunity. And, you know, I, I think a lot of times we we when we tell ourselves stories about people, we look at all the awesome things that they've done and focus on those. And we don't look at the hardships that happened to them sort of along the way. When you look at someone like Dwight D. Eisenhower, you see him winning the Civil War, but you don't, or sorry, the, the World War II, you don't look at the time when it almost went the other direction. And he had to walk into a conference room and confront all his generals and go like, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to brook any complaints here. I'm not going to let anyone say that this is a bad situation. We are going to find a way to turn this thing around. And you don't focus on that because it's not as fun, but you should because the next time some thing happens to you, you want to have that ability inside yourself as well. Like, I, you know, I sort of talk about Edison discovering the light bulb. Like, you know, we think about this and we, you know, we have that cliche of a light bulb going off over your head. We think that's where genius comes from, but we forget that he tested literally 6,000 filaments for the light bulb before he found the one that works. And then when we're trying in our own lives, when we're working on a Word document and it gets deleted halfway through, we're like ready to throw in the towel and we think that the whole world is conspiring against us. And that's an attitude that absolutely holds people back because we, if you can't deal with minor obstacles, what are you going to do when you get in a terrible car accident, when the economy crashes, when your company goes out of business? You know, when your partner cheats on you or someone steals money from you or 
an employee that you thought was was great you find out has actually been plotting and and you know planning a a, com, a competitive business all these things that happen in life that if you if you don't have the proper attitude you can very rightfully feel like the world is conspiring against you and in fact the world is just being what it is and there's an attitude and this attitude i believe is rooted in stoicism that lets you use those things to your advantage well, you know, it, it's interesting because I find a very useful technique for myself, and I, I had to do this out of necessity because I totally lived uh, what I call a choose-yourself life. Like, I had to, I, I was unemployable for most of my life and had to create my own career. And one of the things I did when I was hitting bottom was just every day I would write a list of ideas. Not that I was going to act on the ideas, but I just wanted to exercise that idea muscle so that when things got really bad or the next time that things got really bad, I would know what to do. Like I would sure. suddenly, my idea muscle would turn into an idea machine and I would have a ton of ideas like, okay, uh, such and such partner is, you know, cheating my business. Now I know that the 10 things I need to do instantly because my, my brain has become an idea machine. So I have found that to be a, a useful practice for me. And I, no, and I see that type of example in many of the examples in your book. No, look, that, there's actually a stoic exercise called meditatio malorum, which is the meditation of evils. And the stoic sits down and, and you sort of, you, and, and there's actually a business practice about this too called a, a pre-mortem, where like, let's say you're about to launch a product, you're about to, to start a new venture, you're about to uh, pitch a client, you're, you're going to do all these things. Sit down and walk yourself through what the absolute worst case scenario could be and pretend that that's happened. What are you going to do about it, right? Because it's so much better to have prepared than to be caught off guard by something, even though it might feel negative or like you're jinxing it. And, and I think that's what prevents a lot of people from thinking about this, these things. They don't want to envision the worst case scenario because they think it somehow makes it more likely. In fact, if you're prepared for the worst thing that can happen, when it does happen and it can, you'll know what to do about it. You won't be caught off guard. You won't be stuck. You'll have a backup plan and you'll know you, you won't feel guilty. You won't feel persecuted. You'll just be able to act as though this is any, any, any ordinary event, which of, which of course it is because bad things happen all the time and we have to be ready for it. Well, let, let's explore that a little bit because I think there is some validity to, in general, thinking positively about situations in your life and being not necessarily uh, an optimist, but a realist verging on optimism. You don't start any venture thinking, oh, probably it's going to fail, even though sure. probably it is. You, think, you start a venture thinking, okay, I'm going to make this succeed. So what's the relationship between imagining the worst case scenario and let's just call it the, the power of positive thinking? Sure. Look, I think positive thinking is important. And I, I actually don't think they're in contradiction to each other. Right. So it's like, OK, what if this bad thing happens? Well, then I'll just do this instead. What if this bad thing happens? Well, I'll just do this other thing instead. Like my approach to thinking negatively about things is not fatalism and it's not helplessness. It's treating it as a contingency that I'm prepared for and ready for, and that doesn't have anything to do with my spirit. Like there's there's a there's another stoic concept called which is um, amor fati, right? Which is a love of fate. So it's not just an it's not just that you tolerate that bad things can happen. 
It's that you actually love and sometimes feel grateful for the thing for the bad things that happen because we we benefit from those things. There's there's actually I talk about this one study. They they looked at um potentially catastrophic injuries in uh, high-level athletes. And they actually found that post-injury, the athletes played better, had a better attitude, and had grown from the injury. Um, but then everyone spends – and I'm not saying you should go out and get hurt because, like, it's obviously better not to get hurt. But the point is the things that we spend all our energies trying to avoid or worse, we, we waste time dreading and being afraid of, we always survive and we always, if we have the right approach, can turn to some benefit. And, and so that's, to me, thinking about bad stuff happening isn't tempting fate. It's acknowledging that fate exists and that it doesn't always go the way you want it. But if you've got the energy and the passion and the enthusiasm, you'll be able to make do regardless of what happens. Right. I think... Um... You know, there's there's a saying uh, economists have predicted, you know, 20 of the past five depressions like people right. tend to uh, pe people tend to in general um, panic a little bit more than they tend to be happy anyway. So you might as well if you're going to make it a, a life habit to panic, which which humans sort of for, for evolutionary reasons do like you're, you're going to avoid the lion more than you're going to eat fruit from the tree. So if you're going to make a lifetime habit of panic, you might as well say, okay, if this situation really does happen that I'm panicking about, it's really not so bad. It's, I can do this, this, and this to kind of overcome uh, the bad situation that occurs. So, absolutely. And, 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 you know, you think this in business, like, you know, you have your clients and you're petrified of losing any client ever. And then you lose the client, and the first thing that always happens, at least in my experience, is you feel this relief, right? You're like, finally, now I can take advantage of these other opportunities. Now I can try something new. Now, I, in a way, loss or adversity can be really freeing, and that's, that's where the, the stoic exercise comes in. Like, look, our actions can be prevented in some way, right? We want to do this, and or we're trying to do this, and you know, something intervenes, but our attitude and our intentions, they can, they can never be stopped, right? They can only be rerouted. And so I want people to think when things happen, when, you know, an employee f***ed up, don't think about how bad it is that this employee f***ed up. Think about how now you can use this as an opportunity to either cut bait on a, on an awful employee or an opportunity to teach that employee a powerful lesson that otherwise you never would have been able to communicate. And, and so it's this kind of flexibility and resilience that, you know, as, as Nassim Taleb talks about, it's sort of anti-fragile. Fragile things when um, uh, exposed to stress break. Anti-fragile things when exposed to stressors get stronger. And that's what you want to be as a person. Well, you know, and, and along those lines, you talk about Abraham Lincoln uh, was clinically depressed essentially for almost his entire life and his entire political career and yet he you bring up this example he began to view that as uniquely his own experience and sort of he he sort of saw destiny in that and that's what kind of catapulted him to success yeah no look his, his you can make a very strong argument that lincoln's depression gave him a unique kind of perspective and compassion that made him perfectly suited to be the president of the united states in that terrible time, like his favorite saying was, this too shall pass. Um, 
You know, there's there's another um, you know great thinker that I quote in the book, uh, Viktor Frankl, who wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning, which is one of probably the greatest books ever written. But he he says, you know, one of the most important things in life, and this is a you know this is from the survivor of a concentration camp, is is to be able to find meaning in our suffering because humans suffer. We're we're animals who are defenseless against a world that is much larger than us. And if we can find meaning in our problems and our trials and, and tumults, we will be able to not just bear what life throws at us, but find happiness and satisfaction in our sort of short existence on this planet. Well, you know, and that's a great example because here's a guy in a concentration camp, the worst one, basically, and people were dying around him left and right. Various times he was lucky that he didn't die. Um, but his one compelling thought that he kept with him was that he knew he wanted to write about the experience afterwards, and that gave him the meaning in life he needed to survive. So, so write, writing the book, you know, Man's Search for Meaning, was in fact the meaning he needed to survive the concentration camp. Right, and look, that, that's the message that I wanted this my book to get across, which is if all things continue as they are, none of us will be in a concentration camp, right? No one wants that to happen to us, and that probably won't happen. Um, but if someone can find meaning and value from their experience in literally one of the worst thing that, things that's ever happened, I think you and I can find meaning and value in the thankfully much more trivial problems that we all face in comparison, right? So if you have a business partner who's screwing you over, can you find meaning? Can you use that as an opportunity to practice forgiveness? Can you use it as an opportunity to, to express, you know, sort of courage and bravery to confront them? Can you use it as an opportunity to sort of learn from whatever mistakes brought you into this situation, you know, uh, you get laid off, can use it as an opportunity to find a job that, that you're more passionate about. If, if someone can find meaning in a concentration camp, someone can find meaning in the Civil War, someone can find meaning in, you know, um, a sort of clinical depression, I think what that means is that the formula, if applied to our own lives and our own problems, allows us to find similar meaning and value in our own experiences and in the obstacles that we face, because everyone faces obstacles, uh, the only difference is 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 which ones. And I, the the stoic way is that all of those obstacles are are teachable obstacles, and they're valuable obstacles if you let them be so. You know, it's interesting because on the one hand, it's a very individual type of philosophy. Like, it, it's about self-reliance. Like, these bad things are going to happen no matter what society has told me, um, and uh, but I'm going to be able to survive them or, or some good, you know, I'm going to develop a practice by which some good will come of these obstacles. But at yeah. the same time, it's, 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 to me, it's very much about individual freedom in a society so that... I don't have to rely on anybody else. If I'm relying on anybody else for my success, I could end up dead or unsuccessful or betrayed or whatever. Now, not that I'm going to avoid partnerships or avoid anyone else, but it seems like there's a very core uh, concept of, of freedom in this philosophy, as well as kind of these specific techniques of, of doing the pre-mortems, practicing forgiveness, practicing gratitude, and so on. 
You know, yeah. in fact, I just want to quote, you know, Epictetus, the, the Stoic philosopher, uh, said even, each human being is primarily a citizen of his own commonwealth. So, again, it's this, this concept of self-reliance that's very important. To- totally. Look, I, I think what I find to be so powerful about Stoicism, and, and you quoted Epictetus, the two most powerful Stoic, the two most, the, the greatest Stoic writers were Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus. Epictetus was a slave. And Marcus Aurelius was the emperor of Rome, so the most powerful man in the world, right? He was literally a god on earth. So they, they both have difficult lives that are difficult for totally different reasons. Marcus Aurelius' difficulties are primarily difficulties of abundance, right? He can do whatever he wants. He's surrounded by sycophants. He's got power and responsibility. Epictetus is having to come to terms with the fact that he can be banished, he can be killed, people can tell him what to do, he's poor, you know, he's, he's exposed to the elements, he was physically disabled. So Stoicism is a philosophy that within, you know, about two centuries of each other was profoundly beneficial and meaningful to the lowliest person on earth and the most powerful person at earth, on earth. And so I think we're all sort of somewhere in between there. And Stoicism is a philosophy that that is not, hey, this is a system of ethics about how the world should be. Stoicism is a set of tools and exercises for dealing with the world. And yes, there's there's lots of practices that help us in our business life. And there's lots of practices that help us in our personal life. And there's practices that help us sort of balance and um, control all of them together. Um, and it, it's, I think, I think what Stoicism is, is a system of self, it, it's about self-sufficiency and, and independence and resilience, um, which all of which I find to be very liberating and empowering. And I think well, people... Well, how, how have you found it liberating and empowering? So you have your own business, you're, you know, a professional marketing agency, you help sure. people publish, you help people market their products. How have you dealt with this in your own business life? Well, so for me, I've sort of like, you know, I started at 19. I was a college dropout sort of working at the bottom rungs of the Hollywood system. And I'm getting, you know, kicked around. People are treating me like garbage. Um, and, you know, it's it's a philosophy then that's helping me understand that, like, look, there's bad, mean people in the world. And sometimes they treat you this way. And that doesn't say anything about you. And you just got to tolerate it. Um, and when the coin is flipped, let's make sure that you're not like them yourself, right? So there's stoicism when you're powerless. And then as I've grown successful, um, obviously the obstacles that I face on a day-to-day basis, whether it's, you know, uh, last week it was a client who tried to screw me over, maybe it's an employee who's having problems, maybe it's stress about money or all those things. Stoicism is a philosophy that says, you know, like, okay, calm down. Let's see this stuff objectively. Let's, let's see how we can turn this specific problem. Let's solve it. But then let's also figure out how we can put ourselves in a position where we're not exposed to this anymore. Um, or if everything's going to, is this an opportunity for us to, to, to double down, to, to sort of profit while everyone else is losing control. So there's that. And then finally, you know, as a person, Stoicism, I think, is a is a helpful reminder about what really is important. And what I always love in your writing, James, is like you're a powerful testament to how meaningless a lot of the things that people chase are. You know, you made and lost millions of dollars, 
and it didn't make you any happier or less happier. You just realize like this is not this is not what gets me out of bed anymore in in the morning, and this is not what I want. And I think stoicism has been helpful to me as I've grown more successful. It's a reminder of look, if I became ten x more successful, I would be exponentially more stressed and not any happier. So I'm going to pick the projects that I want to be a part of rather than being sort of sucked into things or drawn into things that my ego is attracted to or my wallet wants or whatever whatever sort of greed the human the human psyche can be can succumb to and I'm going to focus on the things that I find meaning and happiness in so that it's it sort of helped me across the board if that answers your question. Yeah, it reminds me a little of the the famous 80/20, you know, ratio where, you know, 80% of the value you find in life is going to be the result of 20% of your efforts. Mm-hmm. So we're going to we're going to find through life uh, as we as we get older, you you find that 80% of the things that you thought would have uh great, fantastic, pleasurable results were actually pretty useless and only 20% really caused you know, let's say 80 or even 100% of kind of the, the worthwhile events in your life. And I don't even want to say pleasurable events because it's not about pleasure or pain, but just finding peace and freedom in yourself. 20% of those uh, of your efforts will, will have that result. And it seems like your practice is to sort of focus in on those 20% as quickly as possible. No, totally. Like, look, I like that other study about like any, anyone, once you get past like $70,000 a year, money is not correlated with happiness. And that's not to say that I'm, I'm around, you know, turning down. Every, as soon as I got to $71,000, I was like, no more. I'm, I, you know, I don't want any more. Give it to the poor. It's, it's just thinking about these things objectively and using the, the tools and the knowledge that we have to sort of check our ego or our impulses from running amok and then causing misery and frustration and disappointment in our lives and, you know, I think a big part of that, and Stoicism talks about this a lot, and there's a chapter on in the book, sort of meditating on your own mortality. You know, if you think that the rules don't apply to you, that you're going to live forever, that accumulating a huge pile of money and awards somehow counteracts the forces of death, um, as you get older, you're going to feel more and more dread and fear in your life. That's completely unnecessary. And if you can, if you can instead focus on what provides meaning and happiness and value to others and to yourself, you're you're going to be able to live in the present moment and actually appreciate and enjoy what you're doing. Like you see these people who are living miserable lives or subjecting themselves to these things so that in ten years they can travel the world. But uh, but I think that the stoic objective view of things is like, look, you could get hit by a car walk, walking across the street tomorrow. So is it really a good idea to put off present happiness and contentment for something that may never come to be? And so I, the, the stoic idea of sort of meditating on what's happening right now, looking at these things objectively and making, like you're saying, sort of 80-20 analysis so you get the best of everything right now while you're alive is a much more is a much more flexible and malleable approach towards happiness than than this sort of deferment or worse sort of endurance of what you're going through right now. Well, and and I, I have two points on that. One is, um, you know, I find in my own life by practicing these these practices, what's happened for me is that 
every six months, my life has been completely different in completely unpredictable ways. Like, I have no way of predicting what my life will be like and what I will be working on even six months from now. But it's been con- it's been consistent since I've been following these types of practices that, in general, has been a positive upward movement. Because as you're always anticipating the worst-case scenarios, you can maneuver more quickly. But it also shows I have zero ability to predict the future. And I sure. think most people have zero ability to predict the future. The other thing I want to mention, throughout this podcast, you've been mentioning various exercises and uh, skills that the Stoics developed that are mentioned in your book. I really think people should, A, you know, of course, read your book, but B, re-listen to this podcast because these exercises are very useful. And I want to read one from your book, which I think is incredibly useful, not just in business, but even in personal or family situations or whatever life situations you have. You talk specifically about people who might treat you in, you know, wrong ways. I put that in quotes, but uh, you say when people are rude or disrespectful... Uh, that might mean they underestimate us, which is a huge advantage. When people are conniving, we don't have to apologize to them when we make an example out of them. When people are critical or question our abilities, we can now, you know, they now have lower expectations, so it's easier for us to exceed them. And when people are lazy, it makes whatever we accomplish seem all the more effortless. And I think that also is an incredibly useful exercise to deal with all types of you know, negative people that we have in our lives, which are inevitable that you're going to have these negative people in your lives. And I, 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 again, I think people should re-listen to this podcast, actually, which I've, which I've never recommended before on a podcast. But, but these exercises are, are vital for, for good and for, for living the, the free life, living the choose-yourself life where nobody else gets to choose your terms. You get to choose the terms you live on. Sure. Look, look people are going to be negative and crappy to you in your life. It's it's up to you whether you want to feel and be crappy and negative because of it. And so, like, for me, when I run down those things, because we've all been treated that way, and we'll probably all be treated that way this week, um, why should that make you angry and hurt? That's a decision that you make, right? And do you they- really do that in your personal life? Are you really able oh. to practice this consistently? First off, uh, I practice it in my life but I'm admittedly not anywhere as good at it as I would like to be. What Sto- People think that Stoicism is this sort of, um, like they read the Stoic the book and they think it's like, oh, this guy's just telling me how it should be. It's like, no, he wrote, Marcus Aurelius wrote The Meditations, which I think is the greatest book ever written. He wrote it to himself and never thought it would be published. They're actually exercises where he's reminding himself and correcting himself on how he behaved like the day before. So when I'm writing this stuff, I'm writing it as a reminder to me. Of course, my first instinct when someone underestimates me is to feel resentful and to try to correct them. But I have to say like, look, what is that makes, they did something mean and now I'm going to feel bad. Why not just let them do something mean and I'll feel good about it because it, it, it actually is a net positive if I think about it that way. So I think these things are ultimately reminders of how we should be. And they're like when you read the Stoic literature and you read my book, there's not there's not reminders of how pretty flowers are and how nice it is to laugh and how wonderful sex is and stuff like that. Right. Because we don't need reminders about that because it's kind of natural. 
What's also natural, unfortunately, is to get resentful and to get upset and to get emotional about things. And those aren't positive. And so stoicism is sort of a framework for reining in the, the negative instincts and reactions and emotions that we have so the other ones can flourish. So, so Ryan, this book is The Obstacles, The Way, The Timeless Art of Turning Adversity to Advantage by Ryan Holiday uh, coming out May 1st. Uh, what's, you know, I, I highly recommend the book. I, I, of course, have read an advanced copy of the book and, uh, will be one of the first reviews when it hits Amazon. What other stuff, uh, are you working on right now? What's, what's next? What's the next book? Um, I'm trying, I'm, I'm actually in the process of selling the next book right now. Uh, my, my growth hacker marketing comes out in paperback in September. Um, and then, you know, uh, day-wise, I'm the, I'm the editor-at-large of Betabeat, uh, which is the, the tech section of the New York Observer. I write at Thought Catalog, as do you, James. Um, I think, you know, I, I just try to sort of contribute to this conversation and, and say things and, and sort of pass along wisdom as I see it. And this book, for me, was a collection of the really smart things uh, that I'd read from other people and put into an actionable framework that... And if I didn't have the ability to publish it with Penguin Random House, I probably would have written for my own benefit um, personally and, and wouldn't have cared if nobody read it. Well, I just want to mention also, so you've done a lot of, I don't know if many people know this about you, but you've done a lot of the research and you were an assistant for Robert Greene while he was writing his books like Mastery and, and so on. And yeah. th th there's a certain aspect of this style. And Robert Greene, of course, has been on this podcast. I encourage people to listen to that podcast because it was very interesting. Um, but your style in this book reminds me a little of his research-oriented approach where you have so many examples, like you have hundreds of examples, and they're, they're all great and meaningful, and you can tell just a lot of work and research has been put into this. I, I think your bibliography in the back is just as useful as the book. Like many of those books I intend to read as well. And I'm not just saying this to hype up your book. So Thank you. it's just a, 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 a good research-driven product. I don't know if Robert Greene has read this or commented on it for you. Yeah, he, of course. And, and look, I think what Robert's discovered is that, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to force people to understand things when really stories are the best way to teach. And that, that's what I tried to do with the book. That's a great uh, that's a great skill right there. So, OK, and on, on that note, the obstacle is the way. I hope everybody goes out and buys it. And Ryan, once again, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's always good to talk to you. For more from James, check out The James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today.